0: Alright, you guys hear me? Check, 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 check. Alright, there we go. ENC, thank you for having me here today. Thank you uh, to the leadership uh, for the invite. A couple other uh, sort of quick things about me. Um, I pastor a church up in Cambridge, uh, but I'm also very excited to be a part of a denomination called the ECC. And very happy to announce, and and many of you guys know this, that uh, we planted a church right here in Quincy uh, called High Rock Quincy. Uh, and so if you currently oh, there's a contingent here (laughs) if you don't currently have a church home I I strongly recommend it to you if you have any questions about that church in particular uh, please feel free to grab me afterwards Um, other things to note about me is that I come from a weird family I have two little brothers Uh, one uh, currently does artist management with a rapper named Snoop Dogg aka Snoop Lion now a very weird name Uh, I have another brother who goes by the name Bobby Hundreds he started a company called The Hundreds which does fashion and clothing and all of that stuff Um, And so I come from a very weird sort of family background, and I chose to go into ministry. Um, But it's good to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, the word is going to come from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And I think I'm reading from the NIV 2010 version or 11 version, so if you have some variant of that, it'll vary. And if you grew up in a church, this might be a familiar passage for you guys. Right? Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Verse 35, it says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And before we go further, uh, please join with me in a word of prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. And we thank you when the weather is beautiful, we pray that it would remind us of how good you are to us no matter what the weather is out there. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a place to meet, that we have the freedom to worship, that we have the freedom to come before you and proclaim your name, to do it in public, to do it in private, that we we have the right to do that here. And so Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've showered down upon us. And Lord, we pray that as we hear the word here today, uh, that this would be about you and that the Word would function as a double-edged sword, that it would pierce our hearts, it would expose us. And even though you love us just as we are, as we came in here today, we know that you also want to see us change and transform. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be able to lean into that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let me summarize the story that we just read here. Jesus has been preaching and teaching all day. He's exhausted. He suggests to his disciples, let's go on a cruise. get on a boat. They're in the middle of the water, and suddenly the, the perfect storm comes, and it threatens the lives of everybody on board. Everybody starts freaking out. The disciples especially freak out when they find out that their leader, Jesus, is knocked out, sleeping. They wake him up. Jesus gets up. He calms the wind and the waves. He turns to them, and he says, what's the matter with you guys? And it doesn't tell us this, but I assume he just went back to bed. <laughs> if you grew up in the church, um, like me, uh, which I did, and I don't assume that all of you did. Some of you, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Um, But this is a commonly preached passage. And because of that, I really love it. There's a consistency about it when preachers go through this passage. Uh, And when pastors talk about this story, they focus on two things. right? They focus on the storms, and they focus on Jesus' power. Storms, Jesus' power. This is the way this sermon goes. The first point is this. This This is the thing you'll always hear about this passage. Is that storms are inevitable in your life. They're inevitable. And, you know, not to be a pessimist, but if you haven't been through a storm just yet, you will. You will. Right? Whether it's unemployment, loneliness, isolation, rejection, relationship issues, at the very minimum, everybody you love in your life has an expiration date. That's depressing. No matter what you go through, no matter matter who you are, you will go through some sort of storm in life. So that's the first thing that people like to point out. It's a little depressing. You will go through storms in life. It's inevitable. The second thing people point out is this. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. God, the creator of the universe, Alpha, Omega, Beginning and End, all you know, controls the wind and the waves as we see here in this passage. And speaking of expiration dates, Jesus defeats death. He defeated death. You know what happens when you dig up a grave? You find a body. You know what happens when you dig up an entire grave site? Body, 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 body. You know what happens when you go to Park Street and you dig up that area? Body, 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 famous body, famous John Hancock's body, 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 body. You, dig, you, you, know, you, you go up, dig up Tupac and Biggie's grave? Big body, skinny body. You know, it, it, you, it's very consistent. But you go to the grave of Jesus and you open that thing up? Nothing. That, 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 that grave is empty and it smells of life, not of death. Right? So whatever storm you're going through, Jesus is bigger than that storm. God is bigger than whatever it is that you're going through. And so logically, when you're going through stuff in life, we should put our trust in God. Now all of this is very true. and This is the stuff that I preach. This is the stuff that you can count on preachers preaching to you because it is true. Here's something that I'll tell you that not everybody talks about is that life can be pretty complex. <laughs> and, and what I'll tell you is this, is that life isn't always this linear sort of trajectory from brokenness And storms to healing and peace. There's not like this perfect sort of thing. And it's easier said than done for somebody to simply come to you and say, put your trust in God when you're going through difficulty in life. It sometimes doesn't work that quickly. It's sometimes not an instantaneous sort of process. A couple of years ago, and this is something that Corey is referring to, my life uh, was caught up in this storm. My entire family uh, went through a storm. My wife was pregnant uh, with our second child. Um, his name is Emmett Emmanuel Kim. Eighteen weeks into the pregnancy, uh, we went in uh, to find out the sex of the child. We went through the examination. They told us, you're having a boy. And I'll always remember these words. They said, your child, they said, oh, we're really sorry. Your child is very, very abnormal. We spent the entire day in the hospital trying to figure out what was wrong with him. It turns out all of his organs were growing on the wrong side of his body, which in of itself was not fatal, which is crazy. That's, a, that's technology for you. But the thing that was going to be fatal is that his heart was underdeveloped. There's nothing connected to his heart. And so what they told us is that our pregnancy would actually look normal. Um, And right after my son was born, that he would pass away within a couple hours. Uh, They kindly gave us the option uh, to terminate the pregnancy. And my wife and I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this. um, And we chose to continue with the pregnancy. And once we chose to continue at 18 weeks of pregnancy, we went through some of the hardest times, uh, probably the hardest time uh, in, in our life, um, and I don't know if any of you have ever, ever experienced pregnancy or have been close to people who have experienced pregnancy. That in of itself is really difficult. Um, but you're kind of looking towards the end where there's this bundle of joy at the end. Uh, but for us, you know, we knew that we would go through pregnancy knowing that there's tragedy at the end of this. And so that entire year was just an utter disaster for us. Um, and there were certain things as we went through that year. And, and you know, we're, we're still kind of wrestling with this stuff. There are certain things that actually got us through that season. Uh, and do you know what one of those things was? Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The, this passage that I had heard over and over and over and over again, the same message over and over and over again about the storms and Jesus' power and all this, this passage spoke life into us. And it had new legs. And it was one of those things that actually helped us navigate that very difficult season. These are the things that we kind of discovered as we wrestled with Mark chapter 4. The first one is this. This is the first reason why it was so just comforting to my wife and I. That this passage was not necessarily about the storm. It was about Jesus. It was about Jesus. The story is about Jesus, not the storm. Now, I hate to fly. I don't like flying. Um, I lived across the street uh, from the Pentagon uh, when 9-11 hit. I've always hated flying. I just hate it. And when I'm on a plane, the turbulence just gets to my head. I I start thinking through the logic. I start thinking, like, how is this thing held up in the air? I don't get it. You know, and you just start doubting. Um, And the thing that I do, and again, I don't know if I'm unique in this, but whenever there's turbulence or something happens, I want to take a survey of everybody in that plane. I want to go up and down and be like, doesn't that sound kind of weird? Isn't that strange? Don't you think a group of us should go up to the cockpit and talk to the captain? I, I wish I could know what other people are thinking. And so what I tend to do in times of turbulence, and again, I don't know if you do this or not, I tend to fix my gaze on those two people who just became friends on the plane, and they're talking away as if nothing is happening. You know those people? You know, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm praying. I'm doing all this stuff. And there's two people that have no idea what's going on. They're laughing. They're eating. They're hanging out. You know what I do? I, put my, I look at them. I look at them. And when I look at them, it actually calms me down. It calms me down to see that they're, not everybody's freaking out. In fact, for some people, it's exactly the opposite. In this passage, what we're told, and I think one of the things that we need to learn here is that we need to take our eyes sometimes off of the storm and place them onto Jesus. We need to take our eyes off of the turbulence because if you just keep looking at the turbulence, you'll freak out. And you need to focus on the person on the boat who's in control and who is calm. And in this story, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's sleeping and completely calm through the entire storm. There's a pastor and an author named John Ortberg, and he wrote, Peace does not come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from having Jesus on the boats. You see, we believe that happiness comes from eliminating the storms in our life. We think that we change our circumstances. If we just got that job, if we just got that relationship, if we just got this one thing, if we just got that little tweak, that little thing, that we would find happiness, and it's an illusion. And what we're finding here is that happiness doesn't come from changing your circumstances. It comes from having Jesus on that boat with you. It comes from having God with you. Why was that so important for us in particular? It's important for, for, for my wife and I in that season because suffering is isolating, lonely. Any of you who have been through storms, I don't care what it is, you get in this phase where you feel like you are the only person who has ever been through what you're going through in the history of the world, Right? There's a way in which it just feels so unique to you, and no one's ever gone through it before. And because of that, it's isolating. You feel like people don't get you. You feel like the world is passing you by, and, like, and everybody you talk to has no idea what you're talking about. Suffering can be utterly isolating. One thing my wife and I did that maybe we shouldn't have done, <laughs> uh, during that time we started watching a, a reality show uh, called Boston Med. I don't know if any of you watched this show, but uh, that year they had this reality show where they covered the lives of doctors and interns uh, in the Boston area. They, they, they tracked people from MGH and Beth Israel and, and the, the hospitals right here in the Boston area. So we started watching this show and lo and behold, there's an episode where there's a family pregnant. They get the exact same news. The exact same news that we got. And so we're fixated. We're like, we shouldn't watch this, but we're totally watching this now. We're totally watching this. They walk into the hospital. and We're like, that's our hospital. They walk into the waiting room. We're like, that's our waiting room. They talk to the nurse. We're like, that's our nurse. That's our nurse. Those are the people. In that show, what ends up happening is the doctor comes to them and says, hey, you know, this is a very fatal sort of condition, but we have a very risky sort of surgical procedure. Would you like to do it? They say, yes. At the very end of the show, we're just told this at the the very end, that they chose to go through with the surgical procedure and that child was still living after a year. So my wife and I are like, "Why why did they not tell us about this? We have to learn about it on TV. So we're a little angry, but we're also very happy, very hopeful. We walk into the doctor's office. We're like, hey, we watched that show. You were on that show. You were on that show. You were on that show. That family came in there. You told them this. You told them about this surgery. That's what we want. We want that surgery. They look at us and they're like, that family's, situation happens one out of every 10,000 cases. Your situation happens one out of every couple hundred thousand cases. Your situation is far worse. There's nothing that can be done. My wife and I walked out of there and we were like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? Like how could we be worse than what we're watching on TV? And it felt so lonely. It felt like we were just alone, just walking this earth. And, and, and no matter how difficult the situation was for other people, we were being told that ours was like, you know, 10, 10, 20, 100 times worse than whatever else is, you know, whatever anybody else was kind of going through. Complete isolation. Later that summer, uh, we ended up going back uh, to my home church uh, and we sought out prayer uh, with my, uh, the pastor that baptized me and his wife. They laid hands on me and there were a group of people at the church that started just praying for us. And there's a lot of things that were said. There's one woman in particular who said these words. She had her hand on my wife's stomach, and she said, Thank you, Lord, because you also know what it's like to lose a son. Now, I'm a pastor. I should know that stuff. Right? I grew up learning that you know God gave his only son. and da-da-da-da. That thought had never crossed my mind before. And I remember looking at my wife and we're like, we're not alone. We're not alone. God God is with us, but God knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows what it's like to lose a son. You see, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever storms it is that you're going through, God not only is with you, but God can identify with you. God became incarnate. He walked alongside of us. He experienced what we experienced. So we can get into the very crevices of our lives and empathize with us. We are not alone when we go through the storms. So the first part of this for us was, this is comforting because Jesus is with us when we go through the storms. The second part that was comforting with, for us was that God loves us through the storms. That no matter what storms we're in, that he loves us in the midst of those storms. You see, if you look at this passage again in, in Mark chapter 4, it's interesting because when the storms come, the disciples, they don't turn around and say, Why don't you do something? Why, why aren't you powerful enough? Can't you do something? You know, like, where is your strength? Where is your power? That's not what they say. Look at the question that they ask in Mark chapter 4 they say, Don't you care? Don't you care about us if we drown? They already know that he can do things. At this point, they've seen him do all sorts of things. That's not in question. What they're questioning here is whether or not he even cares about the fact that they are on this boat and they're about to lose their lives. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And little do these disciples know just how much he loves them. Just how much he cares. Little do they know what Jesus is about to do to prove his love to them and to demonstrate his love for them. Little do they know that not only does Jesus care, but he loves them more than they will ever know and that he will ultimately lay down his life for them. They don't know this stuff, but at that moment, they're asking, do you even care about us at all? You're just sitting there And and I think this is part of what Jesus is trying to get across when he calms the wind and the waves. That not only do we get this idea that, yes, he controls creation. Yes, he has this power. But he's also communicating, I love you. I do care about you. And when you see the works and the miracles that Jesus does when he walks this earth, he shows, he demonstrates power. But he's also demonstrating, I care about you. I love you. There's a certain point uh, for my family where we realized that we were going to lose our son. And our prayers shifted at the very end. Our prayers became very different. And so my wife and I, we started praying one prayer. And we started praying, Lord, please let my son know, no matter how much time he has on this earth, that his daddy loves him. What I realized is this, is that if my son could be born, he could know everything about me. He could know that I'm Asian, shave my head, that I you know, listen to this type of music, I like this type of food. I like, you know, he could know all of this biographical information about me, the schools I went to, all that random stuff. He could know all of that stuff. But if he does not know that daddy loves him, that's a tragedy. If he doesn't understand that we would have given our lives for him to see him live, that's a tragedy. So we started praying, Lord, please let my child know that he is loved and that his parents love him. Um, He was supposed to live a couple hours. He ended up living four days. And for four days, we just, we didn't sleep for four days, (laughs) but we were just all over that boy. Um, And everybody, you know, who saw us and and was able to communicate with with us, told us, and that prayer was answered, that that boy knew that he was loved when he left this earth. You see where I'm going with this? You see for for some of us here you've been a Christian your entire life. For some of you, again, not all of you, but for some of you you've been Christian for a very, very long time. Some of you have been a Christian Christian since you were like a fetus. If I give you a written test, you can like fill that thing out perfectly. You know? We know this stuff backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards and all this stuff. But you know what? If you don't understand that God loves you, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. That's a disaster if you don't understand that one piece. And it's one of those things that I grew up just like, yeah, God loves you, Jesus loves you, da, da, da. If you don't actually get that, if you don't actually know that, that's a disaster. And I know that when God sees you, there's all sorts of things that that he wants to reveal about himself. There's all sorts of ways in which he wants to have relationship with you. But I know this for a fact. He needs to get across to each and every person in here that he loves you. Your child, your daughter, your son. And he's saying before you hear all of the other stuff that I talk about, you need to know that I love you. Because without that, it's a disaster. It's a tragedy. And since September. You know, it's the beginning of a new school year. You're gonna wrestle with all sorts of stuff. Good things, bad things, I mean all all sorts of things are gonna happen here. You're gonna wrestle with things. And when you're in college, you do wrestle with things. You wrestle with your faith. You wrestle with questions. You wrestle... You do all this stuff. But let me me tell you this. There's one thing worth wrestling over. It's the question of whether or not you understand that God loves you. Does God love me? Does God love you? I mean, not does God. God does love you. But do we get that? Do we get that? Do we understand that God loves us? That you are His beloved? That He would do anything? And He did! just about everything, to demonstrate that to us. Let me pray for us as we close. Well, God, we thank you that you are an intimate and personal and real God. We thank you, Lord God, that the dividing wall that separated us from the divine has been shattered. And we can confidently come into the throne room of grace. We can confidently come before you and say, Abba. We can confidently come before you and say, Daddy. We can confidently come before you and understand that you love us. And we pray, Lord God, for everybody here in this room that we would be able to hear and feel and understand with every fiber of our being that you love us the way that a parent loves a child, but infinitely more. And we pray, Lord, that that would be our foundation, Lord. We pray, Lord, that that would be the thing that would be our bedrock. We pray, Lord God, that no matter what storms we go through, the questions we wrestle with, that the bedrock that we're working with is that we are loved people. We are loved people. We are people of the cross. We are people that God looked at and said, I am going to die for those people. Because I love them. I love them this much, and I'm going to demonstrate it to them. And so God, we pray that we'd be able to step into that identity and that we would know this through and through. You are good. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Pastor Kim will be around, and others will be here available if you want to pray or just talk to some.